Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 153. Just before I get into the episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody that's reached out and said how much they are enjoying the podcast. I've had a number of messages recently on social media and some by email as well, just saying that they're enjoying the podcast. So I really appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate you enjoying the content from the guests and also the guests that come on as well. So please keep sharing it and we'll be able to bring you the best quality of guests like we have done previously. So really appreciate that just before we get into it. Episode 153 is with David Flower. David is the first team sports scientist at Everton. So he came on the podcast to talk about the internship model and how it's developed since he, he went through it and also now that he oversees it in his role at Everton. We talked about what makes interns stand out. So initially in, in the sort of sign-up process of getting onto an internship, but also once you're on the internship, what makes um, an intern stand out to David? We then spoke about the developments in the WSL, the Women's Super League. So from his time at, with Everton in the WSL, how it has progressed how the change to professional status for a lot of clubs has impacted the work they're able to do, and also how Everton utilise a one-club culture as well. Then we spoke about the effect the EPPP has had on the club's uh, structure and the academy structure, and also the role of the under-23s as well. So we covered loads in this one. We covered some really good stuff, stuff that we haven't gone into as much in previous episodes. So I hope you enjoy the content. And just before we dive into it, we've already had a number of sign-ups for our upcoming event, our networking event at South Wales University on Wednesday, the 22nd of September, 6 till 9pm. We've got a great lineup of speakers, Cardiff City strength conditioning coach Mike Beer. We've got Reese Carr, previously of Sheffield United and Cardiff. And we've also got head of fitness and conditioning from episode 151, Patrick Orme as well. So... We've got practitioners from Bristol, from Cardiff, from Cheltenham, from Bristol City Ladies, um, from Barrytown. There's loads of different practitioners already signed up into the vet, to the event. If you want to grab yourself a ticket, go to www.footballfitfed.com. Click the shop tab and the tickets are available there. So it'd be great to see as many of the listeners as there as possible. And there's set to be some brilliant discussions because we do focus on the networking side of these events. But... What a lineup of speakers. We're going to have some great content as well. So I hope to see you there. We'll get into it now. Episode 153 with David Flower. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 153. I'm delighted to be joined today by first team sports scientist at Everton, David Flower. David, thank you for coming on. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, pleasure pleasure to be on and, and honoured honored to, uh, to be on your podcast. It's great to have you on, mate. And just said, like, <clears throat> your wall is definitely on theme. Everton colours, you're representing. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> no, I appreciate you coming on, mate. It's great It's great to have you on. Um, just to kick us off, true podcast <clears throat> fashion, do you want to give us a little bit of background <clears throat> on yourself? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I guess, yeah, it kind of came from from a bit of a, a sporting background in terms of terms of playing sport as a kid, uh, football, tennis mainly, um, kind of progressed progressed in football a little bit further. Um, got into kind of coaching a bit of both around 16, 17. Um, decided then to go to uni, went to Liverpool John Moore to do uh, my undergraduate in sports science and football. Um, which gave me a really good good foundation in in our field. Um, uh, you've had a few people on the podcast who have sort of been through that that degree. So, you know, there's like a placement in the third year. Did that at Tramney Rovers um, in the centre of excellence as it was at the time. Again, great experience into the player world. I actually continued that on um, in like a voluntary capacity for a couple of years after that. Um, Still sort of a little bit unsure of what I wanted to do at the end of my degree. Um, stayed on at John Moores again and did uh, a MSc in sports physiology. Again, during that time, I, I was, you know, well into the sort of practical aspect of it and, and really took that as like, right, well, 
I got a year to focus on my studies, but I'm going to prioritize that as almost like a, a day job, if you like, like an eight till four or something and spend the rest of my time outside of that getting experience. So like I said, I was continuing my placement at Chandler Rovers. I also um, picked up some voluntary work with Everton Ladies. Um, and towards the end of my master's, I started on uh, a part-time internship at Everton uh, on the men's side. Um, and yeah, that really took me through my master's. After that, I left Liverpool briefly. I always call it my like sabbatical from Liverpool <laughs> uh, and spent 10, 10 months uh, at West Bromwich Albion on a full-time internship, um, which I then left early to take an opportunity to come back to Everton Ladies full-time um, at the start of the WSL uh, when it was founded. Um, and then, yeah, opportunity came up with Everton men's team with the under-23s where I spent three years, three seasons there with quite a successful group. Um, and I then had the opportunity to step up into the first team, which now is my fourth season and about fifth manager or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, quite, um, probably crammed quite a lot in there, but yeah. Awesome, mate. Well, you've touched on a couple of things that we're going to focus on on the podcast in terms of the internships and then working in the women's game as well. Um, but I just wanted to start on that internship journey, that internship model. And yeah. because I think it's great because you've, you've been through that process um, as a practitioner, but now obviously in your role, you'll see it from the other side now as well. So I just wanted to ask, like, how do you see that that, you can speak in terms of Everton or, or as a whole, how do you see that internship model um, progressing? How has it progressed over the years from when you went through it to what it is now? Yeah, I think I was probably on, on the early curve um, in terms of the growth of internships in sports science. I think thinking back at, at sort of the Everton model, there was maybe two or three sort of... Uh, iterations of the internship like seasons of the internship in different forms I think my year we started was sort of one of the first real like formally structured internships at the club um the years before some of the people have, have been on uh, been on your podcast recently so James Malone was a year or two before uh Patrick Orme uh Jordan Milson um was sort of the at the really early stages of that um and sort of reflecting on, I guess, the past, what is it now, nearly a decade, I think they've just just grown in just in terms of number. Mm. So, you know, pretty much every every club has some form of internship or student placement, right, in some, some way. Um, so definitely the popularity and um, availability of them has really kicked off um, and has sort of pushed a lot of practitioners into the industry. I think so it's definitely grown and they've definitely evolved and um, you've seen them go from sort of undergraduate placements to master's level to then PhD level and doctorate level. Um, and some clubs will have a range across that whole spectrum of, mm -hmm. of um, students and embedded practitioners, research practitioners at the doctorate level. So I, I think overall it's really grown. That would be my main reflection. I think it's, it's great to obviously speak to yourself at a club like Everton because you've mentioned a few of the people that have come through that process and there's, there's plenty of others as well. And there's obviously plenty of reasons why a club like Everton are, are producing or, or helping to produce these top quality coaches. So what do you think the difference is between internships like yours that effectively get people ready or, or put you on the right path to be ready to work at the top level to potentially stepping back a few years where they probably didn't, um, to be truthful, like we, we're doing jobs that, okay, they're, they're not, they need to be done, but are they going to prepare people really for the real world? Mm -hmm. um, I think two things. I think firstly, at, at the top end, there's uh, more of a pathway. So now there are actually jobs and roles um, for people to step into 
if you know what I mean, whereas, yeah. you know, go back a decade, like sports science was still really emerging, I think. And the, like the, firstly, the number of roles, but then also the range of roles probably wasn't there in the same way. So I think that pathway and the opportunity to progress through. Um, and then also maybe the, the content of the internships as well has obviously matured. Um, and I think clubs are getting better at um, selecting students firstly, but then, you know, developing them through the pathway. Um, I think for us at Everton, probably the, the main strength we would reflect on is um, sort of, we, we take quite a number of students on. Um, so it's, you know, it has a, a fluctuating number between anywhere between sort of eight and 12 students, which sounds a lot, but the placement is, or the internship is basically like two, two days a week, real part-time fitted around the studies. So, um, but within that, they get to experience like the range of, sports science support across the whole academy and first team and 23s. Um, so they will do obviously uh, testing, fitness testing, um, warm-ups, physical conditioning sessions on the pitch. They'll also do some performance analysis um, and nutritional support. So they really get to sample the whole range of like sports science, applied sports science that we kind of do uh, and what you typically see that across the season the early part is them just getting used to the environment getting used to the tasks and the activities that they're engaging in and then as we get through sort of the winter months and past Christmas they start to like find the area and the area of interest um, so I, I think for us that's been a really good almost like a natural filter in that they get to sample in you know the whole range of sports science and then through the course of the internship they kind of get to to shape it um to suit them really and then we also have the opportunity um to stay on for an additional year as like a second year intern the hours go up the pay goes up um level of responsibility goes up um so that's that's like a nice progression within our internship structure yeah and i think that is on feedback from other clubs as well that seems to be the more successful sort of internship <clears throat> models like that is why, isn't it, that they get such a broad spectrum of experience that they can carry over. And it's not to say that we shouldn't be doing certain tasks <clears> and things that intern internships have been known for. And I'm sure people will know <laughs> what I'm getting at with that. But at the same time, we, we, we've got to come out with something, haven't we? We've got to come out with some sort yeah. of experience that puts you in a better position. Yeah, definitely. I also have to say that, that we're obviously linked to John Moore's university. So um you know world-class sports science degrees um and support there so we're, we're kind of we are lucky in that we're selecting from a good pool of students and they get a really good academic grounding as well yeah but you're right that that practical experience and like you say something tangible um to kind of move on in your career with is definitely important yeah yeah, I was going to ask about standing out as well, because in terms of an internship, yeah. not only being on the internship and having the right um, attributes and I suppose attitude towards what they're doing, but you've talked about the amount of interns that go into the process at Everton. Mm. And I'm sure there's probably hundreds, if not thousands or more that actually want to go into it. Yeah. So initially, what makes people stand out for you to consider them to go into the internship? And then also once they're onto it, what are the sort of standout things that you see that makes you sort of take notice? Yeah, I mean, having been around sort of some of the selection process, it's mainly driven by uh, Martin Littlewood of John Moores and John McEwen, our head of uh, Academy Sports Science. Um, but I've sort of been around the process for a number of years and also have obviously done it. Um, the, the key thing, obviously, from the university's perspective, they'll do a lot of the initial filtering. So someone like Martin will know our internship, having been involved in it for a number of time, and then also knows the students. So we'll kind of be able to filter out the ones he thinks are suitable or not suitable for it. So that's that's massive, massively useful for us. Then once it gets to sort of the CV and interview stage with us, really the key standout is some sort of relevant practical experience very simply um 
And I, I think that that demonstrates a couple of things. Firstly, um, some level of coaching or practical skills, which will translate, but also some level of initiative and, um, you know, kind of proactiveness, really, to have gone out and got some experience, which are probably some of the key traits we're looking for during the internship. Yeah. And it's probably been said, you know, before by a number of, of your guests on the podcast. Um, but it probably can't be repeated enough. Ultimately, we, we're just looking for basic um, personality traits of being a good person, of being uh, polite, punctual, presentable, reliable. Um, and if you can nail that, like, you know, we take the view of we can kind of teach you everything else, you know. But if you're not on time, if you miss shifts or you're not contactable or you don't reply to messages or emails, like it gets very difficult to, to manage you through the internship. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that sounds quite simple, but society <laughs> as a whole, not everyone fits into that category, do they? So I think it's a great point because they're, they're all skills that you need to take, uh, you need to sort of combat to take forward, don't you? Yeah. And, and for sure. I, I think, Two, two thoughts on that really is, is one is, well, if you're not all of those things, then um, are you going to take on board what we're telling you and the, the opportunities and experiences we're giving you? Yeah. But then secondly, for me, I was, I was trying to think about this a little bit more before. And for me, it kind of ultimately comes down to trust. Right. So as you know, in football, like stuff rolls downhill if the manager's upset about something, his assistant's upset about something, if he's upset about something, then the head physio's upset about something. If he's upset about something, then he's on to me or whatever, right? Yeah. And as a practitioner, at times you'll preempt that the other way. So you're like, oh, okay, if I mess this up, then he'll be upset and then that'll get up, you know, the manager will be pissed off me or whatever, right? So if I'm, you know, if we're managing an internship or a gym session or some activity which the intern's involved, like uh, on some level, I'm kind of like putting myself out there a little bit. Yeah. You know, especially from my role now of coming into the first team, obviously, you know, the environment's a little bit different in the academy and the coaches and staff, you know, accept that students are on a placement and they're learning and developing as, you know, the same way the players are. But the first team, like it's a little, the environment's a little bit different. So if you're coming up as an intern into the first team, like there are slightly different expectations. And if you're wanting to get involved in a gym session or a warm-up or assist on the pitch with something, well, then I have to trust you to do certain things, right? Or not do certain things, as it may be. Um, Because, you know, on one level, like my neck can be on the line. I I have to sort of vouch for you. Yeah. So I think that that was an aspect that, again reflecting on my experience as an intern I think I developed trust and respect from the people I was working with and ultimately like helping like I think you also have to provide value to that person you're you're assisting really whether it's in the academy or a first team sports scientist like you have to build a relationship and trust and also but also give them value for them to invest back into you yeah, it's got to be that two-way thing, hasn't it? Because like you say, and that's, I suppose, why the, the selection process is interesting <clears> because um, you mentioned the sort of numbers that are involved in it. And I've, I've said, like, there's going to be a lot more people that want to go through that process, but that aren't hitting those standards. Um, so it's really important to consider, isn't it? Yeah, man. And, and sometimes, like, we've had a couple of years where we've got it quite wrong. Yeah, and in in terms of dropped out through the process because they just haven't been suitable, or you know, out of a group of ten, like eight of them weren't what we thought they were, and haven't sort of delivered been able to deliver on the program in the way we thought they would. So, so you're absolutely right. Like that recruitment now is really important and gets harder with the 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 amount of sports science students and stuff. So. Yeah, no, definitely. Before we move on, <clears throat> I've got to ask, I hear there might have been a little story around your internship about a sports hall and, and sleeping in a 
sleeping or staying in a, a sports hall or a gymnasium. Is this right? I'm not sure what you're getting at. <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing a little I'm birdie might have told me that this, is, <laughs> this is this is a potential sacrifice that you might have made on your internship journey that you had to um, you slept somewhere and and got a cheap um, cheap accommodation <laughs> on your internship. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I finished uh, uni, uh, my undergraduate, stayed on and did a master's and obviously not having a job and, like I said, spending a lot of time volunteering, you know, cash was tight. And one of our mutual friends of the person you're talking about um, <laughs> has a job in like, or had a job in property management and worked for um, a, what's the best way, like a property guardian company. So um one of these things where if you have a you know a property that's vacant you can obviously pay a lot of money uh and have it to keep it secure you can board it up doesn't look good if you're trying to sell it um whereas this company basically populated it with people poor people like myself to sort of live in it and, and whatever you, i guess you can look up property guardians um so yeah i ended up one place living in a school near anfield for a little while brilliant which i guess is what he's talking about so brilliant. but yeah like the, the rate oh what was the rent i don't know cut like 100 or 150 quid a month or something like next Amazing. to nothing I, I i probably couldn't have got through uh, i actually lived in one uh during my time at west brom as well and i probably couldn't have got through that phase um without that option Super. Sorry. But this is the thing, isn't it? The reason why I asked was obviously <laughs> I, I thought it was brilliant when I heard it. But also, yeah, yeah. It's it's the the sort of sacrifice that you gotta make, isn't it? Like when you're talking about doing these these hours and essentially free hours, if not very lowly paid um work, like these are the sort of things that you gotta do. And I'm sure there was a lot of great life experiences at that time as well. Um, but it's just, I, th- I thought it was quite a nice lesson for people to hear from yourself being in your role now that like, it isn't, you've got to graft, you've got to take, make these sacrifices to get to that level. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think, um, like I look back on that time and, and I told this to, um, our mutual friend there, like a few times my, and he was obviously, uh, working on a PhD internship at a, at a similar time. Uh, and so during my master's year, I was I did a full-time taught MSc. Like I said, I volunteered at Tramnir. I volunteered at Everton Ladies, which was across or evolved to be with the first team and the whole Centre of Excellence. Um, and I was also doing some, some um, kind of like voluntary sports physiology work at Liverpool John Moore. So we had a couple of clients like uh, St. Helens Rugby, British Swimming. Um, that we sort of did, did some work through the physiology lab at John Moore's. Um, so, uh, and then I also worked in a bar in town on the weekend Brilliant. To, to pay my rent. So from like Monday to Friday, we split across lectures, uh, eventually the internship with Everton men um evening two evenings a week at tram there voluntary two uh one evening with Everton ladies set of excellence and two or three evenings and a weekend day with Everton ladies so it was pretty rammed and then so like I always tell the story of like on a Friday being with Everton men's first team um whatever training do the jobs, do the GPS report, leave at three, um, go, if I was on an early shift, you know, go into town and, and set up the bar at like five, work all night through to two, three in the morning, and then get up at eight to go for a game or a training session with Everton ladies um, on like three hours sleep and not a lot of food. <laughs> um, but I, I've always said, and I'll look back at that time of like, every part of that I really enjoyed. Like yeah. I knew that, you know, I wasn't necessarily committed, you know, committed in a contract or financially to any of those things. And if I didn't enjoy an aspect or um, I wasn't getting what I wanted out of one of those aspects, like 
I would have dropped it. Mm. Um, but yeah, some of the experiences and some of the relationships uh, I've sort of formed through those those years um, have been invaluable. Uh, and I'll actually look, look back on as like a really um, formative and enjoyable period of my career and my life ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice to reflect on those times, isn't it? Because you probably don't realise at the time the sort of skills that you're picking up and developing, even working in the bar, like I'm sure those many soft skills that you had to develop in that sort of a role as well that cross over into working with a first team in the Premier League now. Um, yeah, so. I've, I've, always, I've always said that, and it's a, it's a bit of a weird one to sort of explain to people and especially students or interns of like probably arguably the, the most uh, formative experience on some of my work now is actually working in a bar because for yeah. me it was all about the process which I, I've only come to realize more recently but like working in a, in a couple of decent bars where like cocktail bars and stuff like that where you were pushed to like multi-serve and stuff like that so the challenge was always like well how do you serve these three people at the same time and also clear up after like the previous three people you've served. And then if you think of like the process of making an order of drinks, like there's, there's a, you know, a start and an end yeah. and a process in the middle of doing that. Well, like a lot of those things are involved in what we do anyway. And you're in a front facing service industry. Mm. So, you know, if you're a customer in the bar, my job as a bartender or whatever is to give you the best, experience you know at that time to firstly make you spend more money and secondly to come back like yeah. and that's not very different to working with players you know there's a lot of talk about um coaching language and building buy-in and building relationships well you know no better place to sort of practice that than in a bar with a hundred people you know customers a night or whatever right yeah I've had a few messages come through on social media when we advertise our events asking if the presentations get recorded and if they, you're able to access them if you can't make it, make it to the events. And this is exactly what our online community is for. So we've already got a number of different presentations from previous events that we've done as well as a number of webinars. But from the last two events we've done, we've got presentations from Performance Manager at Rotherham United, Ross Burberry. Um, sports scientist, first team sports scientist at Rotherham, Tom Scupian, first team sports scientist at Preston, Luke Hemmings, physiotherapist from Preston, Tim Horn, and um, Liam Anderson, who was previously uh, head of sports science at Crew Alexandra. All of their presentations are now available to watch back on demand on our online community. So if you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign up and it'll give you one month free on the community. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. If you can't make our events, all the presentations are uploaded there so you can watch them back in your own time. And even if you come to the events, we have a lot of different members that come to the events and then they re-watch the presentations afterwards as well. You might have missed certain things. So it's a great resource for you to catch up on the events as well. So if you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com click the community tab, sign yourself up there and get a free month. Here's part two of the podcast with David Flower. Yeah, 100%. 100%. No, it's really interesting that because when people talk about soft skills and we talk about like doing things now in in roles, like it's just interesting hearing people's different experiences in different roles because I think there's so much that comes from that, working in bars, working in cafes, being front-facing dealing with the public and dealing with the public that might not be in a uh, compass mental state a lot of the time as well. <laughs> <Definitely>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, these are all things, aren't they, that you can pick up and take forward. Oh, massively. Yeah. No, it's brilliant. No, I thought I'd get that story <laughs> out of you. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to go right. Um, you mentioned also about working with Everton ladies as well. And yep. um, I've had Jack on the podcast, Jack Clover, I've, fair while yeah. ago now, but I do speak to Jack quite regularly. And I know some of the amazing work that, that goes on with Everton ladies as well. But it's really interesting. The development of the women's game, it's obviously growing all the time. We've now got it on Sky Sports. There's a lot more exposure to it. 
a lot of the clubs are going professional. <clears throat> Obviously, spoke to Laura Bowen not long ago about uh, Southampton yep. as well. So I thought it'd be interested to get your point of view um, on the women's game as a whole in terms of how it's progressed <clears throat> and the sort of maybe how the professional status of some clubs has impacted the work that they do as well. Yeah, I think so. As I touched on at the start, I, I really got involved with Everton Ladies, as it was at the time, um, around literally the start of the WSL. So, you know, for, for those who maybe don't know so much about it, um, the previous women's competition was in line with the men's season. At the start of the WSL, they decided to switch it to a summer league. So... Obviously, if you think of, so like the men's Premier League season finishes in May and then starts again in, in um, like July, August. Well, because they are switching to um, a summer league, they finished in May and were then starting in January or February. Mm. So there's, there was a massive gap, um, which gave them you know obviously time to train and, and stuff and, and they obviously filled the time but they're also looking um for more help so mo marley who's the coach uh the, or the manager of everton ladies at the time reached out to uh, a few people one of them was barry just um who was my i think they connect, maybe the connection for the fa i'm not entirely sure but barry is my tutor of uh, the science of football He's a program leader of science football, but was also my my academic tutor at the time. And mentioned it to me, um, and yeah, basically went went and met Mo and, and Andy Spence, and um, kind of kicked off from there. They later told me that that they they met with me, um, and that whether I was good, bad, or indifferent, they were taking me no matter what. <laughs> I, I thought I thought I did I thought I did really well. I obviously went and met them, basically like a, an interview. Um, and then Mo was joking later on that, well, we were taking you no matter what because you're the only per- only person who contacted us. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, really, that, I mean, I'm trying to think about now. That really started as they were basically looking for someone to do 20 minutes worth of physical um, conditioning work, you know, broadly like core, um, core stability work, S&C kind of stuff, right? Mm. So went in, watched for a few sessions, um, got an idea of what they were doing, what they wanted, started putting on these, um, you know, like core sessions, really. I didn't really have much of an idea of what I was supposed to be doing or even what a good, like, core program session looks like, right? Um, but, you know, was straight in at the deep end. And at that time, Everton women had, like, five, five or six four England internationals um, had played in the Champions League the season before, had won the FA Cup season or two before that um, and were arguably, you know, the the best or the second best with Arsenal kind of team in the country. Um, so there was a bit of a moment of going, okay, there's like, yeah, there's Rachel Williams, England goalkeeper, uh, Rachel Brown, England goalkeeper, Farrah Williams, you know, England captain, whatever, Jill Scott. Stuff like that. I go, okay, well, yeah, better not mess this up. Um, <laughs> but I sort of stuck around long enough, and, and like you know, coming back to your point on the internship, like I had a twenty-minute window at start at the end of the session, you know, which you could go and deliver and then get off, right? But obviously, I got there early, stuck around. If it was before the session, stuck around after the session. Um, you know, picked up cones, served balls in, whatever, just was just there to help and. Obviously, naturally, that role um, grew, you know, and before you know it, I'm taking warm-ups, I'm um, playing in the sessions or I'm, I'm assisting in the sessions, taking passing drills or whatever, uh, and really kind of just grew a role for myself and kind of created a role, role for myself where I was basically in a voluntary capacity like, you know, the sports scientist for the team. Yeah. Um, so quite quite lucky in terms of, of, of timing uh in some regards right place right time um and that led into the start of, of the WSL um and like I said by, by the time that came around and started I, I was like doing match day warm-ups and was and was providing 
sports science sport for the team. So, so I ended up doing doing the full season there and thinking about how that's evolved since. If you go, well, we had Mo as the manager, Andy as assistant manager, me as like a voluntary sports scientist. We had Mo's um, husband, Keith, who was the kit man and uh, bus driver and, you know, everything else, right? And that was pretty much it. And it was just a team of volunteers around it which were, were primarily friends and family of, of Mo and Andy. Mm. Contrast that to now, you know, Everton Women has its own um, member on the executive board of Everton. They have a full-time manager, assistant manager, goalie coach, physio, you know, sports therapist, Jack as S&C coach, as sports scientist, right? They, they have uh, an analyst and um, nutritional support from an MSc student. Like the, the the change in contrast is phenomenal. Um, and reflecting on my time, I think I did maybe the first couple, maybe two or three seasons. Like the playing level definitely stepped up every year, and our level of support and finance definitely stepped up every year. And that's kind of continued continued over the the last decade, I guess. Um, obviously, it's since switched back to a winter league in in line with the the men's league essentially um so it, it's changed dramatically but i think overall it's changed for the better and like like you said right at the start the exposure and the funding um you know from media outlets like sky um the fa the um yeah the fa the women's wsl uh yeah has been incredible to see really and i, I think that investment uh, and support has really allowed opportunities for clubs firstly to go full-time, but then also hire support staff to facilitate all of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned, didn't you, that that growth in staff, like that's going to create, well, have created more opportunities, but also going forward, there's probably going to be even more, isn't there? Because more clubs are going to go professional and there's going to be more opportunities that come up as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think, obviously, I had a really positive experience myself, but I think that's an avenue for students and young practitioners to, to really go into and, um, and explore and get experience and progress into, um, into the women's game. Um, that was a reflection for me. At one stage, I was sort of working in both men's and women's football, um, and as I got towards the end of my internship at West Brom, I was sort of in my head at a bit of a crossroads of, well, do I continue down the men's path? I've sort of done the women's part. You know, do I just go down the men's path at the start of the EPPP thinking, oh, well, EPPP's come in, it's a year or two in, or there's going to be loads of jobs, nine to 16s. Like my next job's going to be nine to 16s, sports scientists at an academy somewhere, right? Uh, and then I got this offer to come back to Everton Ladies and go, well, you know, maybe I can take this path mm. and ma- make a name for myself uh, in an area where, which is less populated. You know, I think within the women's game, you have the opportunity to kind of specialise in in that game, in that area, um, which you might not have the same opportunity to do in the men's game. Yeah, no, definitely. And the other thing that's interesting, I know at Everton is that, the, the women's team and the men's team are very closely linked and it's, it is very much like a one-club culture, isn't it, at the club? And I know elsewhere, like this, whether it looks like it from the outside, but a lot of clubs, that doesn't happen. You hear of women's teams getting kicked off training grounds at certain times and things like that, not mentioning names of clubs, but like <laughs> this, this sort of thing happens, doesn't it? It just doesn't seem the case at Everton. It seems like it's, it's very much a one-club culture. Yeah, I mean... The ones you touched on, there's been a couple of examples, you know, in the press recently, which um, is right that there's been light shed onto it. Um, but yeah, our, our approach to Everton is is definitely been that. It's something that, to be honest, has been worked on, and there's key people who have worked really hard to lay the foundations for us to get where we are. Andy Spence the previous manager 
probably being the main one, obviously building on the foundations of the legacy of, of Mo Marley previously. Like the, the support from, from the club, the men's side, uh, you know, going back to the early days with, with Mo was, was always really good, but it was always, you know, up, up to a point. Um, and I think it was really Andy who took it upon himself really just to, to camp out at Finch Farm and build relationships, mm-hmm. sit in an office. So he spent half a season sat in the performance analysis office in the academy just because, you know, he built a relationship through hanging around um, and then obviously got to know some staff. And then before you know it, like the women's team now have an office in in the building sort of thing. And, and yeah. I think it was really him who, who, who started to break down the, the barriers there because there is always that cultural um, insecurity, really. Um, but so, yeah, I, I don't want to like go, you know, paint a too glossy picture it has, it has something that has been worked on quite a lot um but we're now in a situation where like there's obviously people like myself who have worked in both yeah. you know good staff on the other side like jack clover like you mentioned who integrate well with the academy snc and sports science staff and, and obviously myself and the other staff at the first team um uh and, but then also the support higher up at the club to fund the women's side and to also um, really provide the organisational support for certain things that happen, such as like pitch access, building access, um, and to push them up the priority and for those things. Mm. You know, pre- previously, again, you know, this isn't a criticism or anything. It was just sort of how it was. Like when I first started with Everton, and we would train on the indoor AstroTurf at Finch Farm uh, at nine in the evening or eight in, eight in the evening waiting for the under 10s to get off. Yeah. Right? You know, that just was just how it was. That was just, you know, part, partly because the players were part-time and had worked in a day. So the only time we could train was in the evening. Um, and then where, you know, when certain facilities were free was, was at that time. Mm. Um, so... To see them now being supported by the club where they, you know, train on the grass pitches, you know, down, you know, in the academy and have what is now basically known as like the women's pitch because they train on that every day. Um, they now essentially have their own building, which will hopefully soon be renovated to give them, you know, bespoke facilities within that building in the training ground. Um, so that's been incredible to see. And, and I think it's been a combination of things that, that we've touched on. It's been from on the ground level of, of people working hard to build relationships that has then led to like organizational support from the top down. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see there's very much like a, a sort of, we talked about trust before. There's very much a trust from both sides as well, isn't there? And that probably is due to the sort of crossover of staff like yourself and understanding mm-hmm. both both sides of it and the needs of both sides as well. And the, and the sort of the way that the whole club is going to progress. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Real. Well, I know you mentioned before as well about the E P. So I wanted to yeah. just go into that a little bit as well. Just when the E P came in um, the, the, the way it impacted the <clears throat> structure at the club, because I know we were talking what was maybe last week or the week before about the old sort of setup of clubs, first team reserves, <laughs> under 18. So it's very much gone now, yeah. hasn't it? Like it's it's very it's changed. So what was the sort of the the um how things were impacted by the the um introduction of the EPP? I feel really old now. We we've just t- reflecting back on milestones of like the start of the women's league and <laughs> EPP. These things are ten years old now. Back when football was was invented. <laughs> I know, right? We're not that old. <laughs> um. So, again, back in my day when I was an intern, um, part of my internship, I actually ended up like doing the warm-ups for the reserve team as it was then um which was quite a talented group of players at the time 
many went on to play for Everton's first team and now have careers, most of them in Premier League Championship. Um, and again, like you said, we were chatting about this a little bit last week. My memory of that time was they were, it was a group, a floating group of anywhere between like four and 10 players, right? Who were first year, second year pros um, who have obviously progressed from the academy, the youth team, but not quite embedded within the first team. Um, and there wasn't really like, obviously they had a reserve team coach, but there wasn't such of a structured program for him. Like some days, if there was enough of them, you know, at that time you had the youth loan, so they could go out on loan for a month and come back, and it can just be rolled on and renewed, right? Um, but if there was a collection of them together at the time, they would train as a group. Um, they would also support the first team if they needed players. Um, or if not, they would train with the 18s, right? It was a, quite a, a fluctuating group from memory that then kind of just got together and played games in the reserve league. And that was bulked out by first team players playing down or returning from injury and younger youth team players, right? So you had a, a, a group of first and second year pros which were then bulked out by like 16, 70 year old scholars, right? And some senior players. So then probably the biggest change that I've seen with the HLP is the, with the creation of the under 21s firstly, and then the, the 23s as it evolved into was you've now got a formalized age group. Mm. And then you've also got a bulked out league structure that you have to compete in with promotion relegation. So squad sizes got bigger. So you now have a, a, an under-23s group of anywhere between 15 and 20 players typically, right? So that's, that's I think, the biggest change. And there are obviously, you know, benefits and costs to that. I, I think overall it's positive, really positive. If you look at some of the players that have come through the whole academy program now, breaking through into the Premier League, I think we're on the second, second or third year possibly of of uh, players coming through who have been through the whole EPPP programme, so from under nines all the way through. Um, and it's clear to see, again, with the success of like the England age groups, like the benefits of that, I think the standard of player and the technical quality of the player is coming through is, is fantastic. Um, some of the... the cost to it maybe are that players can reside in that like under 23s phase for too long they can kind of get stuck yeah like we were chatting about before that i i think the under 23s especially is is a team to play through it's not a team to play for and i, I think clubs have sort of with the hlp have kind of been on a cycle of like reserve team and that group kind of going from a reserve team with quite a clear role of getting players into the first team to then becoming a like a squad and an academy team uh, like you know you, you look across the Premier League two as it is now and see a variety of the approaches of some clubs having like a really young team uh, under 23s level other clubs having like an older group and you obviously get within that cycles of players progressing through right yeah yeah um no, I was going to say as well on that, it's, it's good to get your opinion on it for the role of that that squad as well, because I know obviously you were involved in the 23s directly and then now first yeah. team as well. So how that, maybe, are there any differences that you sort of see now from being involved with the first team full-time to being with the 23s full-time or does it still feel the same in terms of that you play through it? Yeah, I think that that reflection at the end is, is still true. Um, I, I think my reflection of moving bet between the two is is a bit of perspective in that having worked in academy and, and 23s in it, looking up at the first team, um, I, I think you, you do get kind of caught in your bubble a little bit of going, well, this player or these players are really good and, and can play in the first team, you know, you know, they just need their opportunity to get through. They're ready. They're good enough. And then 
that's you know progressed into the first team and, and that perspective changed of then looking first team down I was like oh okay yeah there there are levels here mm. um, and the levels may be a little bit higher than I, I thought it was I can see now have been in this environment every day and seeing these young players step in that maybe the, the gap's a little bit bigger than I, I thought it was um, but it still ultimately comes down to opportunity I think um, and development and progression and management of those two things yeah no definitely no it's just interesting to get your views on that because mm-hmm. I know we've had a few coaches on before that work in that under 23s role um, and with it being relatively new it's just interesting to hear different views on it um, mm-hmm. I was just going to finish up just before we go into the, the quick fire just talking around um, supporting the development of staff as well so I know yeah. there's, there'll be a lot of staff at, at Everton and this sort of ties in nicely with what we spoke about at the start with the internship as well but your approach to developing staff and obviously giving them the right experiences education to whether it is progress at the club or move into other roles elsewhere in the Premier League Football League whatever it is um Say that again, sorry. <laughs> so just basically your approach on right. developing developing staff. Yeah, as, as a club, I think that we touched on quite a lot of it before, really around around the internship. Um, is providing clear um, clear roles and kind of um, tasks. And then the feedback support in that, I think, specifically around the internship, I, I think that's something um, we've done and, and certainly John McEwen does, does quite well, is real clarity of, of role and purpose yeah. um, and feedback on tasks and, and things like that along the way. Um, and I, I think some of my reflections on my development and my um progression and man- you know management of of that i think a lot of it really does come down to to clarity and feedback like i think as we touched on like younger players moving through into like the first team like your role in the academy is is quite clear it's to progress in the next age group as you get to the 23s and that first team phase as a young player like it gets a little bit less clear mm-hmm. um and your situation is isn't as stable and I think that's that can be true of staff at times as well certainly if you were to press progress through an organization like we touched on um like I think your early roles are quite clear and well defined and then as you maybe progress um that can change and then also I think once you get into first team level and you, you experience a few managerial changes or organizational change at that level well then that's normally a trigger that throws a lot of that stuff, um, you know, into a bit more ambiguity. Uh, um, you know, you have a role manager change, you then brings in new staff. Some of those staff do stuff that maybe you or, or other staff did. So then you're like, well, okay, well, I'm not not doing that anymore. Yeah. What do I do now? So my reflection really has been like, clarity is key on those things, right? Because no one ever has that discussion with you, do they? A new manager comes in, never sits you down and goes, right, I'm bringing this staff in. He's going to do this. I know you did this. I really want you to work. Like, it never happens, does it? No. You find um, out yourself, don't you? Yeah. Hmm. So real clarity on that and, and feedback. So I think the biggest challenge for clubs um, and leaders of organisations is to really... Um, uh, understand that and really like define roles and responsibilities and uh, organize within organizational structures, right? Um, so for us as like senior staff or heads of departments or or senior practitioners, I think it's our responsibility to provide clarity in in roles and, and job descriptions, but then also uh, that then moves into like tasks and um, sort of career development points you know like clear 
through uh, personal development reviews and things like that, I think it's being really clear on like, well, what are the things you need to work on and how are you going to do it? And then obviously the, the feedback of that sort of stuff. But for me, I, I think that's, that's one of the key things um, reflecting on uh, development of staff and interns at the club. And then also like my own career development and periods where I've, I've had that and periods contrastingly, where I haven't had that um, yeah you know what I mean yeah, yeah brilliant no I think that, I think that's great um and it, and it <clears> does just show like the the staff that work at Everton that come out of Everton and your personal experiences as well like the the internship process but up into academy first team uh 23s like there's I know it's taken a lot of work but there's a lot of things that are coming out um from that hard work as well isn't there that in terms of in terms of, I'm talking staff now, not just players. Um, but we'll move it on, mate, into the quick fire just to wrap up. <laughs> so, just to start with, some of your biggest influences on your career so far. Always a tough <laughs> question to narrow it down, but who are some standouts for you? Um, yeah, so I met the main one from an academic perspective, um, and he's been mentioned a few times on, on some of the podcasts, uh, some of your episodes I listen to is Barry Drust. Um, like I said, it was my uh, program leader and academic supervisor during uh, my undergraduate. Um, was involved in a project for my master's thesis, and then also is involved in uh, my professional doctorate currently. Um, uh, and yeah, really, really great influence on me. Um, always provide support and um, belief, um, and, and then probably I've taken one from each of like the main milestones that, that we've talked about was um, like from my time, obviously Mo Marley and Andy Spence at Everton ladies, um, Steve Tashian from uh, his time at Everton first team. Um, and also Dave Billows in different ways, you know, Steve, Steve invested a lot uh, in me and, and had a lot of belief in me that, led to other opportunities, um, which, yeah, forever grateful for, really. Um, and then at, at West Brom, someone like Chris Barnes, the yeah. godfather of sports science, um, <laughs> to have the opportunity to spend spend time with him. Uh, I was thinking, uh, yeah, I, maybe um, I, I was listening to your episode with uh, Patrick Orme. Yeah. And he was saying sort of, I think it was maybe, I don't know if I've just killed my answer for your next question, but around like, um, kind of like talking shop with with people. Yeah. Uh, and those sort of like applied practice discussions. Uh, uh, it made me think about the time at West Brom where um, in the sports science office, there was Chris Barnes, Matt Green. Um, mm. um, oh, I've just blanked. Um, uh, Nick Adkin, Lee Marsh, yeah, um, you know, like a brilliant and having afternoons where we just sit around and, and um, talk sports science. Um, you know, a, a, again, really, really good to chat, kind of like philosophy and training methods and, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, definitely take that. And then more recently, um, in a similar way, Matt Taberner, yeah. Um, yeah, from his time again, sharing offers with Matt. Um, yeah, talking shop and sharing frustrations or reflections or um, like ideas on you know our practice and things like that. Um, you know, certainly during his, his uh, later years at Everton, like um, some of the conversations that around his uh, doctorate thesis of his sort of control chaos continuum for uh, rehab training yeah it always like big in influence uh, to take so yeah which is why the episode with Matt and Tom Allen went nearly three hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which, which tells you a lot because I could chat I could chat to both of them all day but um, <laughs> I also feel like looking into the future there might be in the, in the next episode of the podcast there might be a few of those things repeated <laughs> Um, but we'll see, we'll see. But I know you mentioned it a little bit already, but I always ask about your biggest strength as a practitioner. 
So what would you say your your superpower, your biggest strength is? <laughs> this is always a hard question. Um, uh, and to avoid the cliches, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think something, again, thinking a bit more about this, like, and maybe it's something that I've sort of developed a little bit more or, or has become clearer through, like, my doctorate study. Um, it, it's sort of like an ability to kind of zoom out and, and think about, like, the systems and processes a bit more, yeah. um, which is something I've, like, I guess the doctorate's been a, an outlet for me to kind of gravitate towards that. But that, that's something that I've always kind of like been able to do on some level. Uh, and I'm, you know, still trying to kind of refine it, but an ability to like, like zoom out and see the bigger picture and think about like the system and the processes of the things we're doing rather than just what we're doing. If you know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think uh, well, I spoke to Liam Anderson when Liam did his episode yeah. That was about sort of reflecting and um, I think it's really important, isn't it, to do that? Um, and it's probably not done enough, arguably, especially with, with certain people. So I think that's a, a really important point. And just finally, mate, I always ask about CPD. Mm-hmm. And I know you might have touched on it a little bit already, but <laughs> uh, I, with this one, I, I always say I don't necessarily mean courses, I don't necessarily mean mm-hmm. qualifications, but I just mean for you as a practitioner, how are you can how are you continually learning and testing yourself? Like, what sort of things are you doing? Is it is it podcasts? Is it articles? Or is it mm-hmm. getting out to see people? And what's your approach? Yeah, without dodging the question, it's really genuinely a mixture of of all of them. I think. A big step for me has been um, engaging in a professional doctorate and kind of coming towards the end of that now. Um, that's been a big, you know, a big a big learning experience for sure. Um, I, I know that's maybe not an opportunity for, for everyone. Um, but then on like more day-to-day, definitely podcasts and events, you know, the, the sort of resources you put on uh, alongside other people of of podcasts and networking events, I think it's fantastic. Um, and a really um, easy to engage with opportunities for, for CPD. And, and again, gives you a lot of different avenues, I think, to, to take from. Um, and then again, to, to steal Patrick's answer of like, um, networking and relationships and talking, just talking shop with people really, right? Yeah. Um, and, and especially, I think, conferences and stuff like that are good i'm sure most people will say the the conversations you have that are a bit more informal and maybe involve a beverage of some description in and around events right are, are equally and sometimes more so inv- more valuable in some ways right um yeah definitely definitely, so. definitely. and there'll be a few stories to uh go with those times as well at certain certain conferences too <laughs> um well david no this has been quality mate it's been great to chat um after the things we went through on the call i think we've pretty much covered everything and i think there's some good stuff in there so i really appreciate you coming on just finally if people want to follow you if they want to reach out drop your messages where would you direct them uh yeah so linkedin is probably a good one um I'm sure, as you'll say, I'm not uh, the most responsive on messages, but I'll get there eventually. Um, Twitter, I am on. I've always sort of dabbled without really uh, putting a lot of stuff out. But yeah, as a, you know, to reach out and message or direct messages, um, I think I'm underscore David Flower. You are. I checked. You are. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, yeah, they're probably the most... The, the, the most two direct routes so yeah perfect mate well i really appreciate you coming on and giving up the time um it's been great to chat and i wish you all the best for the rest of the season yeah my pleasure enjoyed it uh honor to be on so thank you very much big thanks to david for coming on the podcast it was great to catch up with him i only spoke to him a couple of times but i can tell uh, the quality of practitioner that he is and some of the great work as well like i said in the episode you see so many people coming through the internship in, internship model at everton 
a lot of recent guests as well, including next week's guests too. Um, so they're obviously doing some great work. And I know David leads that now with in that first team role. So um, yeah, it was great to catch up with him. In, um, in terms of takeaways for me from this episode, I think there could have been plenty. I've tried to narrow it down. He spoke about there being that internship pathway, which he feels is one of the reasons that the internship model at Everton is working so well. He spoke about the interns gradually finding their area because they get such great exposure to different areas at the club. Um, they eventually seem to find their area. And, and we know that. Like You've got to try different things to see what area you're either going to specialise in or, the, or you're going to target in terms of what sort of job role. Um, he spoke about being proactive as an intern as well, being a key skill. Um, and then I thought it was great to get that little story in in terms of what David did, where he stayed during his time going through that education process when money was a bit tight. So that showed the sacrifice that had to go behind it. Um, and David didn't actually know or knew that or that that was coming. So I sort of dropped that one in on him. But I thought it was not just a, a funny story, but also I think there's a lot of lessons in that that you hear from a lot of coaches in these roles, the sacrifices they've had to make along the way. And I think that just sort of defined it. And then he also spoke about um, creating a role for yourself through your work rate. So putting the effort in and like he did with Everton, Everton ladies as they were at the time, putting the effort in, staying the extra hours, whatever it took to create that role. And then going into his current role, he spoke about clarity being key and that he talked about when managers change, they might bring in their own staff. They just need that clarity on what their roles are, what their responsibilities are. And I think he's taken that forward into what, what he does with the staff at Everton as well. So loads and loads of takeaways on this one. I'd be really keen to hear yours. So please reach out. When you share it on social media, just put a little little line on what you took away from it, some of the key points you took away, because I'm sure D David will be interested to hear. And I'm always interested to hear what your takeaways are from the podcast, because I always reveal mine. But yours might not be the same. They're probably not. Um, so it's always great to hear what you took away from the podcast as well. And then just finally, go and give David a follow on Twitter at underscore and then just his name, all as one, David Flower. Um, I'm sure he'd appreciate that as well. But big thank you again for listening to the podcast. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 154.